The scripture reading for this morning will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Again, I'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Uh, if you have a copy of the Red Bible in the pew, that's page 959. And it reads, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Amen. May God bless us to not only be hearers of his word, but doers as well. A good sports team always focuses on fundamentals. It doesn't matter how talented the athletes, it doesn't matter how good the coach, if a, if a sports team of any kind does not emphasize fundamentals of whatever sport they're playing, they're not going to have much success. We're beginning a series this morning about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is fundamental to Christian living. Take your Bible out this morning, and if you would, I know we just read 1 Corinthians 13 about love. I want us to spend a, a few moments reading Galatians chapter 5. Open your Bible there if you would. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to introduce the idea of the fruit of the Spirit briefly, and then talk about the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing to a group of congregations with, that are having trouble with false teaching. They are having trouble with what is the gospel all about. And I want us to begin this morning in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. It says in Galatians 5, 19, this is a diagnostic passage. It's assessing whether we're really letting God have his way with us. And he says this to all of us, Galatians 5, verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I have a little device that I plug into the underside the computer of my car. You can buy them on Amazon, they're not much money. And it'll read the engine codes. And so when I feel something going wrong with my cars, I can plug this little device in and it will tell me, it will read the computer and it will tell me maybe there's something going wrong with the transmission or maybe there's something going wrong with the engine. It diagnoses those things for me. Very handy to have. This passage diagnoses our hearts. It's saying, 
you and I need to think about what's happening in our lives as a matter of just fundamental living. If God is really at the center of your life, if God is really having his way with you, if you are really letting him have his way in your life, then the works of the flesh are going to become less and less of a reality in your life. And by contrast, if God's really having his way in your life, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be more and more displayed. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's a diagnostic passage. And it's meant for you and me to ask ourselves and for us as a congregation to ask ourselves collectively, do we see these qualities being produced? Do we see that love and peace and faithfulness and self-control are more and more abounding in our lives today than they were yesterday or than they were last year? It's watermelon season if you're a watermelon fan. My family happens to be watermelon fans. I'm not particularly, but everybody else is. And so we routinely buy watermelons and they're pretty good in late June, uh, excuse me, late July, early August, this time of year, they're pretty good. But I'll tell you one thing, I would not want to eat a watermelon from last year. I wouldn't want to eat an orange from last year. It's not enough to live off of last year's fruit. Fruit is something that is to be continually produced in our lives. And so when you look at Galatians 5, and 23, I want us to think about as we study these words together over the next several weeks, it's not enough just to say, well, I've shown love and faithfulness and gentleness at a certain point of my life, but this is not a reality in my life now. I don't wanna live off last year's fruit. And you and I shouldn't be content with last year's fruit in our lives either. If God has his way with us, these things will be evident in increasing quantities right now today. I want you to look at Galatians 5.22 and I want you to notice that the word fruit is singular. It's not the fruits of the spirit, plural. It's fruit, singular. As what we're supposed to understand all of these things, if we're really listening to God's word and letting God have his way in our lives, all of these things are produced simultaneously. It's not like you just pick one and not the other. All of them kind of depend on each other. And I want you to think about this. Look very carefully at your Bible, Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the spirit is a biography of God. You wanna know what God is like? Galatians 5, and 23 will tell you. He is a God of love. He is a God who has everlasting joy. He is a God of peace and of patience and of kindness, isn't he? He is a God who knows how to control himself. That's who God is. That's who Jesus Christ is. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's no better summary of Jesus in those gospel accounts than Galatians 5, and 23. And so the question I have for you this morning is this, what's different, what's abounding, what's changing, what's being produced in your life right now today? If God is having his way in your life, these things are yours and they multiply and they grow. That's the idea of the fruit of the spirit. Now I want you to notice this as we turn to our study this morning. I want you to notice in Galatians 5.22 that the first quality of the fruit singular of the spirit that is listed is love. Love. 
I don't know how you preach just one sermon on love and do it justice. I certainly won't be able to this morning, but I'll tell you something. Fundamentals. This is what living the Christian life is all about. It's about love. And when you look at what the Bible has to say about love, we're talking about a very specific kind of love. It's called agape, A-G-A-P-E. And when we think about agape love, a sacrificial love, a giving love, the Bible tells us that it is the more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. There are a lot of ways to get things done in the church, but love is the most excellent way. It is the way that God designed his people to relate to him and to each other. Love is an evidence that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, John 13, 34. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. What, Jesus? How will people know that we are your disciples? By your love for one another, John 13, 34. It is the greatest command. Jesus, what's the greatest command out of all those Old Testament commands? There are two, Jesus says. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Love is the greatest command. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us that love is to be the atmosphere in which we walk. We are to walk in love. In other words, every step we take, every decision we make, they are to be guided by a sacrificial, giving kind of love because of everything that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Love is a universal motive. Everything you do, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, whatever you do in all things, let all things be done through love. And then the Bible tells us that love is the fruit of the Spirit. If God is having his way in your life, his way, if my life is centered around God and the greatness of who God is, and if my life is centered around Jesus Christ and trying to be like him, trying to imitate him, the fruit that is born in my life, among other things, will be love. When was the last time, as a matter of practical question, that you did something for someone because you loved them. I hope it's not been that long. When was the last time you did something in God's service because you love him? I hope that's why you're here today. But love is an all-encompassing word for what it means to live the Christian life. The end of 1 Corinthians 13 says, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, and the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. A man many years ago wrote a book, it's not a bad one to read, it's entitled, The Greatest Thing in the World. You know what the book's about? Agape love. What I want us to do this morning as we think about love, the fruit of the Spirit, I want us to look first of all at the description of love. Not a definition per se, but a description. What does agape look like? And then we're going to turn our attention to a model of love. And then finally, I want to give some dimensions of love by way of practical application for you and me. The description of love. I've already um, uh, mentioned that agape, A-G-A-P-E in Greek, is the word that describes the kind of love we're talking about this morning. The fruit of the Spirit is agape, if you were reading it in Greek. And agape is mentioned about 320 times in your New Testament. 320 times, it's pretty important that it's mentioned that many times. 
And agape has three components to it that you should pay attention to. Number one, agape is a kind of love that is deliberately chosen. It can be commanded. Love one another, John 13, 34. He's not asking you to feel like you love somebody. He's saying, love somebody. It is deliberately chosen. Agape, we can decide when we're going to begin doing it and when we're gonna stop doing it. We can decide who we love. We can decide what we love. We can decide when we love. It is a deliberate choice that we make. And not only that, listen very carefully. Agape differs from every other kind of love in this particular. Other kinds of love depend on the person being loved. Are they attractive? Do they have anything to give to me? Do they like the same things I like? Those kinds of questions. Do they, are they related to me physically by blood? Are they my relatives? Those other kinds of loves are dependent on who the other person is. Agape is not. It's, some, it's choosing to love somebody regardless of whether we feel like they're lovable. Regardless of whether we feel like they are worthy of love, that has nothing to do with it. Agape is about choosing to love someone else. This is what Jesus means when he says in Matthew 5, verse 44, love your enemies. You know how I define enemies in that passage? Your enemy is anybody you're mad at. Jesus says you love those people. You pray for them. You bless them. You do good to them. Love your enemies. It is a love that is deliberately chosen and therefore it can exist even if somebody else doesn't love me back. I can keep on loving them even when they either are not capable or not willing of loving me in return. That's different. We're gonna see the model for that in just a moment. But secondly, as you think about agape, it is a kind of love that seeks the highest good of other people. It seeks their highest good. Notice I didn't just say good. Here is where, in my judgment, our society has gone off the rails with love. Love can be discerning. In fact, it must be. It's one thing to do something that is immediate and practical for somebody who's really hurting in front of me. It's another thing to think about what's ultimately good for them. Psychologists for a long time have talked about the phenomenon of people that are addicted to substances, substance abuse addictions. Psychologists have talked for a long time about those who enable such behaviors. People who in their lives of, of, these, of these people who are addicts, they enable their, their addicted relatives or their addicted loved ones to continue their behavior because they feel like I'm, I'm doing what's best for them, I'm loving them, and really, ultimately, they're not. If you enable someone to continue doing something that's wicked, something that's sinful, it's not love. It's not seeking their highest good. It's just seeking something that's pragmatic in the moment. We've got to think about this. What does love look like? There in Mark chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, it's on the screen. When Jesus had the rich young ruler come to him and the rich young ruler asked a very sincere question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember what Jesus said? He said, well, keep the commandments. And he listed a bunch. And the ruler said, well, I've kept all these commandments from my youth up. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But Mark chapter 10, verse 20 tells us that when Jesus said that, Jesus loved him. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. 
He loved him enough to seek not just what was immediately good for him, but his ultimate good, thinking about his soul, thinking about where he was going to be in eternity. This kind of love seeks people's highest good. And third component of love, agape. Brothers and sisters and friends, it always, always, always takes effort. If you're gonna love somebody like this, and the Bible says this is what Christian living is all about, it always takes effort. Write it down if you're taking notes. Good intentions alone are not love. They're just not. You may feel a certain way about somebody. You may have good intentions to help somebody, but it's not love unless and until it is expressed. Good intentions are wonderful to have. I want to love, I want to help, I want to supply, I want to serve, I want to sacrifice, but until we actually do it, it's not really love. Love does not come into existence, you might say, until we show it, until we manifest it. That's why the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8, It says God manifests, God displays his love toward us, Romans 5 verse 8, in that while we were still sinners, not lovable, Christ died for us. Agape, Jesus deliberately chose to do what was best, what was ultimately best for us, and it took the greatest effort that this world has ever known for him to go to that cross and to suffer and to die for you and me. That's agape. And that's what God calls us to do in our relationships with others. Let's talk about the model of love this morning. The kind of love we're talking about, it has a model. The model, we might say, first and foremost, is God. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. First John chapter 4, verse 8. God is a lot more than just love, by the way. There is a wrath to God, there is a holiness to God, there is a patience in God, there is a justice and a sense of fairness in God. All of those things perfectly blended together without any contradiction, but we must emphasize that when we talk about what love is, God is the definition of love, agape. He's the very definition of choosing to care for somebody and seek their highest good and actively express that. God chooses those things. In fact, 1 John 4, 19 tells us, we love, why? Because he first loved us. What's our motivation for showing this kind of love in the lives of others? Because God first loved us. That's why. Jesus, the Bible tells us, personifies love. John 1.18 tells us that Jesus came to this world in order to fully express, in order to fully reveal who God is to us. It was one thing to read about who God is in the pages of the Old Testament and seeing the customs and the ceremonies that God gave to the Israelites and seeing something of the way God worked in, in history. That's one thing in knowing God that way, but Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he took on flesh so that he could show us If God is one of us, and in Jesus he is, how would he live? What would his priorities be? Jesus personifies love. If you've got your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter five for just a moment. I just wanna show you a couple of things. Ephesians chapter five, when the Bible holds up the standard for love, when the Bible holds up the standard for what it means to love others, the Bible points to Jesus. 
Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, he says, love one another as I have loved you. This is how I want you to care for one another. Look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Our young people might remember this from kids sing. Ephesians 4, 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. And then when you continue on in Ephesians 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Bible says that Jesus is our model. And when I ask, how am I supposed to love others? How am I supposed to forgive others? I'm supposed to look at Jesus and I'm supposed to think about how he would treat the people in my life. That's how. He's the model. As I have loved you, that's how you love one another. As God in Christ forgave you, that's how you forgive one another. As I have loved you, again, Ephesians 5 verse 2, that's how we love one another. Look down at Ephesians 5.25. It's a passage that deals with marriage and the church. And in Ephesians 5 verse 25, Paul writes, husbands, love your wives. By what standard should I love my wife, Paul? As Christ loved the church. I know a lot of husbands that love their wives. Not many husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. The Bible calls us to a different standard, looking at a different model, following a different example. Jesus shows us how to love each other. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 29. It's not on the screen, but Ephesians 5 verse 29. Listen to what it says. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as, you see those words? Just as Christ does the church. What the Bible does for us, brothers and sisters and friends, it says, love one another. Love the people around you. Love your enemies. The greatest thing in the world is love. Be like God. Imitate God in loving others. And then the Bible holds up Jesus Christ as the ultimate model of love. You want to know how to love somebody else better? Study Jesus. Don't look at what your parents did. Don't look at what the people around you that you admire do. Don't look at those things and then assess and decide, well, I'm just gonna copy them and that's how I'm gonna love somebody. That is not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible says, look at Jesus and love other people the way Jesus would treat them. He's the model. He's the goal. He's our ambition. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. If Jesus is the model for love, and if love is about giving, it's about sacrificing, it's about being the kind of person that God wants me to be in my relationships with him and with others, let's talk for a few moments about the dimensions of love. Love has a size and a shape to it, kind of like a diamond, a jewel, just multifaceted, a lot of different angles to it. And I'd like to say this, we might think about love this way. Love has, when we're talking about agape, love has a couple of sides to it. Love has, in the first place, what we might call a sacrificial side. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that Jesus gave himself for us, and we also, John says, should lay down our lives for the brethren. Sacrifice. Love says, I'm going to do what's best for you no matter what it costs. 
I'm going to do what's best for somebody else regardless of how much it costs me. That's sacrifice. And love has a sacrificial side to it. It's the mom who stays up all night long with her child who's sick. Sacrifice. I'm going to do what's best for you no matter how much it costs. It's the man who takes on a second job because he's trying to make ends meet and he's trying to bless his family. It's sacrifice. It's giving and giving and giving because you care about the people that you're serving. Sacrificial side to love. There's also this, and please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Love has a confrontational side to it. I might better have said this this way. In fact, I thought about this. Love has a truthful side to it. There is no deception in love. There is no leading people astray and lying to people. But love sometimes has to tell the hard truth to others. That's what I mean. If somebody is heading at full speed down the road toward a brick wall, it is not loving to say, well, I hope you're comfortable on your ride. And I hope that things are going well for you while you're traveling at 100 miles an hour toward that brick wall. It's not loving. We need to confront and we need to come into their lives. And if you really care about somebody, say, I care about you and what you're doing is not right. When a two-year-old throws a fit in the toy aisle at Target because they can't get what they want, love with a confrontational side comes alongside that two-year-old and says, This is not how we get what we want. This is not the kind of behavior that we're going to reinforce. We care about you. We love you as your parents and we're not going to reinforce this kind of behavior because we love you too much to give in to every wit and every whim and tantrum that you have. We love you too much. Love has that confrontational side to it. Sometimes in the Lord's church, elders, by virtue of their work, Elders are challenged by God and given the responsibility of confronting us and telling us some things that are hard for us to hear. And if they really love us, they'll do it. Agape has that side to it. You look at those two things and that's what I might call the hard side of love, the tough side of love. But then love also has a compassionate side. Got your Bible? Look at Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3 verses 12 through 14 and listen to the kinds of commands that are being given here. This is what we're to put on as Christians. Colossians 3 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Colossians 3 12. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, even as the Lord has forgiven you, there's the model. So you must also forgive And above all these, verse 16, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's a side to love, brothers and sisters, that comes alongside somebody and puts their arm around them and says, I know you're hurting and I know you're struggling and I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and I wanna be able to help. The compassionate side of love is the side of the father who sits beside his teenage daughter who's made a terrible mistake and puts his arm around her and instead of saying, I told you so and giving her a big lecture because the circumstances don't necessarily call for it, he just weeps with her. That's the compassionate side of love. There's also, when you think about agape, there's a patient side. And I challenge you to do this for your homework. Read 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through eight, 
And I want you to notice that Paul uses ideas and images for patience more than any other quality when he talks about love. Not only is love patient, which is the first thing he says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, but also love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things, doesn't it? And one of the most loving things, brothers and sisters, we can do sometimes is just to be, be patient and maybe just to keep our mouths shut in order to express love for somebody else. To just be patient and to keep our mouths shut. Love has a patient side. Now, why bring all this up? There's more that could be said as well. Some of us excel in the hard side of love. Some of us excel, we do really well in sacrifice and in holding and maintaining standards. We're really good at that. As parents, maybe you're really good at that. Sacrifice. I can, I can carry a burden and I can never breathe a word about it. And I can do this because I care about my family. I can care about the people that I love. And I want to do what's right for them, what's best for them, no matter what it costs. Sacrifice. But you all know the stereotype of the man that's working the two jobs and he's putting food on the table and in his mind and in reality, what he's doing is because of his sacrifice, because of his love for his family, he's doing all of this because he cares about them. But the words, I love you, rarely if ever come out of his mouth. And when it comes to being tender, and when it comes to being compassionate, and when it comes to being patient, those things are in short supply. Our love can get out of balance. Some of us excel in the hard side of love, the sacrifice and the discipline and the standards and maintaining and confronting when necessary and caring about people enough to tell them the truth. Those are all good things, but they can be unbalanced. Others of us excel in the last two. We excel in compassion, in sensitivity. Don't you want somebody before they talk to you, don't you want somebody to think about maybe what's going on in your life? Wouldn't it be nice if before somebody came and brought you another burden and brought you something else that you need to do that, that they, they just took a step back and just kind of looked at you and said, I see what's happening in your life and I want to be sensitive to that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if more people were like that? Some of us excel at doing that. Sensitivity, tenderness, compassion. I see that you're hurting. I see that you're burdened. I see that you're struggling. And some of us excel at being patient. We might say patient to a fault because we don't want to confront and we don't want to sacrifice that's unbalanced love as well. When the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, brothers and sisters and friends, God is all of those things and Jesus Christ exemplifies all of those things to their nth degree. Jesus is the one who could say to Simon Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build, your, build my church. You've said well, you've spoken well, Matthew 16, 17. Compassion, kindness, affirmation. Jesus was all about that. But then in the very next couple of verses, in Matthew 16, verse 23, he turns it right around and he says, get behind me, Satan, the confrontational side of love. 
This is not what I'm about. You've got it all wrong, Peter. Jesus could do that. If you and I would genuinely love others, brothers and sisters and friends, we're gonna have to be discerning in how we love. We're gonna have to give some thought and some prayer and some looking at the example and asking ourselves, am I truly loving the people around me in all the ways that God desires? Because we can be very stern and harsh and overbearing and sacrificial all at the same time, or we can be very tender and compassionate and sugary sweet without any kind of rules, any kind of framework, any kind of standard, any kind of rejoicing in the truth and not iniquity. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Follow Jesus and your love will be balanced. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Bible tells us that if God is having his way in our lives, that self-sacrifice, giving to others and seeking their best, their highest good, that's one of the things that's going to be produced in every one of us. And as a matter of fundamentals, let me just ask the question this morning, is love evident in your life? Is it evident in your relationships with others? Is God being honored by the way you love other people? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. I want you to know that Jesus loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you. Jesus died for you and he wants you to come to him in humble, loving obedience, believing that he is God's son, confessing his name, repenting of your sin, being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your need, once you come, all together we stand and while we sing.